We will continue at the end to pray a bit more for Ukraine. It's such a heavy and difficult time. And um, I think of these moments in our lives, we start to consider when it, whenever there's some kind of tragedy, whenever there's some kind of event in this world or event in our lives, we, we consider how does it, without even thinking, we consider how does it affect ourselves. And we, and, but how do we see ourselves through it? How can we do something within this time? How can we be a part of the solution rather than a part of the problem? And, and uh, this week has started to get me thinking. You know, I am uh, 50% Ukrainian. My, my mom's maiden name is Ivasiuk. Um, however, that, you know, I'm a fourth generation Canadian. She's a third generation Canadian. So it's not like we, we don't have family there anymore. We don't have any of that kind of influence. However, it does still affect um, who you are, where you came from, and where you're going. It, it, it's all affected. And these war times, we see the difficulty, we see the problems arising, and we just want to be able to do something. But we also want to we think to ourselves, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why there's war. It doesn't make sense why someone would be doing these types of things. And so we stop and we think, what is going on? And as we've been going through um, David, I'm not talking about David today. I, I kind of just found out that I was preaching, and I wanted to um, take a little bit of a break from that just to not interrupt the... Um, the flow of the David series, but last week I did speak about David, and as we were going through the life of David, you see a lot of wars, and you see a lot of pain and, and anguish, and you see a lot of bloodshed in the Old Testament. You think, how does the Old Testament, how does it, how does it relate to Jesus? How, how do we, as someone that sees Jesus, as someone that says, turn the other cheek, how does that get here? How did we go from there to here? And now how are we back in war again? How does all of this work? Now, I'm not going to answer 100% that question today because it's a big question and I would love to have a go at it, but I'll let Jeremy do that for you guys. Um, and he can figure it all out for you. But there is a big history that we see. And it's even so interesting that um, David wanted to build the temple. This is my only David bit I'm going to go on. David wanted to build the temple, but God said no because there's too much blood on your hand. Obviously, war isn't the ideal. War is not the ideal. We, as people sitting here today, understand that. The Old Testament, there was some kind of filter, something that was missing that didn't quite understand. Because in the garden, in the Garden of Eden, there was beauty, and it was like it was perfect or like it was supposed to be. And then there was sin that entered, and there was, and there was a difficulty that entered, and then right away, Cain and Abel happened, and there was death, and there was blood, and there was murder, and there was a phone going and telling me all about what's happening right now. <laughs> but there was something different, and now they're beginning this place. But today, I want to talk about Transfiguration Sunday, not something that we talk about a lot in our Western church. Transfiguration Sunday is something that we do celebrate um, as, as in the Christian calendar. Now, if you've never really heard a sermon on Transfiguration Sunday, that is fairly standard. We don't think we talk about it that much in the, in the Western church, but I want to give it a go today. I want to talk about it a little bit and see what it's all about. And as I look at our world and I look at Transfiguration Sunday, I see that there is a looking back to where we came from and a looking forward to where we're going. Colossians 2.17, before we get into the transfiguration, Colossians 2.17 says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Our reality is found in Christ. 
It's like we could take Christ, make him a lamppost, and everything else is surrounded and looking towards Christ, looking towards that light. Everything is but a shadow compared to Christ. Let's have, oh, if you want to open your Bibles to Luke 9, 28, if you want to. Now, I have some slides. I'm going to completely ignore them. Um, and you're going to do your best to hit them whenever they come up. Great job. However, I changed the sermon last night, so I don't know where that's going. And uh, there's a few, there will be a few verses still in there, but I did a little bit of changing last night, tweaking last night, and uh, we're going to get to it. But this is still in there. You won't be able to read it, though, because I, I, I gather this is very far away and, uh, from our eyeballs, so I apologize for that. So, in the Christian calendar, this is the day before, the Sunday before Lent. Lent starts Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Not that I'm going to promote it too much, but we're going to do a podcast um, over Lent with Willow Park Church, and you can just stop and take 10 minutes just to reflect on who Jesus is, take a moment of prayer, take a moment to, uh, to soak in the good news, but also to reflect and meditate on who Jesus is. So we're going to be having a podcast just to download every day, 10 minutes to help you with your devotional time. But let's read the transfiguration. About eight days after Jesus saw this, said this, he had just predicted his death, and Peter had just declared that Jesus is the Messiah. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to the mountain to pray. As he was a praying, as he was praying, an appearance, the appearance of, the, of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in a glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. We can already see some reflections to the Old Testament. Jesus' face changed. When do we see someone's face change in the Old Testament when Moses comes down from the mountain? His face changes because he's been with God. It says, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. I would, if there was ever a conversation to be a fly on the wall, this would be that moment. I think we all agree, and then we see in a couple seconds that Peter falls asleep at this time, but we'll ignore Peter's tiredness. But there's a moment, and Elijah and Moses have both met with God on the mountain before, in Mount Sinai. Moses met with God, brought the Ten Commandments down, his face shone. Elijah ran away from Jezebel. And he met God in a still, small voice. They've met God on a mountain. Now they're at Mount Tabor, and they are meeting with God again. They spoke about his departure or his exodus. I think this is fascinating. Elijah and Jesus all standing there talking about his exodus. And obviously, we know what the exodus is. It's, it's the freedom of slaves. It's the freedom from where you are to where you're going. And they talked about his exodus. He talked about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, of course. But when they became fully weak, they, awake, they saw the glory and the two men standing with them. As the men were leaving, Peter said, wait. He didn't say wait, but I'm saying wait. Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I may say Elisha in this story because my son's name is Elisha. I'm really trying hard to say Elijah. I apologize if I do. But he said, he said let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. Peter saw this, and he got excited, and he saw, 
He saw Moses representing the law. He saw Elijah representing the prophets, and he saw Jesus, and he wanted to make them equal. He wanted to make what was in the prophets, what was in the law, and Jesus, what is all equal under one roof or three separate equal roofs. Then, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. I think it's just, this is always a side point, but it's amazing that there's a cloud there that Elijah met Jesus in the cloud. And then there is also the shining face in Moses. There is so much in the Bible. There's so much in the scriptures just to point us towards who Jesus is. It's unbelievable. And the cloud appeared, they covered him. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice up from the cloud came saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept, them, kept this to themselves. They did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This is an absolute moment, a glimpse of glory. Something that as we see this, as we can just imagine what is happening, we see this like transformation in this world where heaven and earth truly meet. And the kingdom of God is starting to be fulfilled. This is such an overlooked passage. And I say that because we hardly talk about it. And we can inform so much of our theology through this one passage. We can inform so much of what we see in this world through this. Because of three different things. There is, let's see what it says up here. There's three things that come up. Let's see. The revelation of the deity of Jesus, the revelation of, of who God is in Jesus, a glimpse of the end, and an unveiling of our hearts. So let's talk about that. It's the revelation of the full deity of Jesus Christ. If you want to turn, you can, or just bookmark, or just think about John 1. It's not going to be up there, I promise you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. We know this verse, we know this passage well. We see that the Word was with God in the beginning. The capital W tells us Jesus is the Word, and the Word was with God in the beginning. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, and the glory is the one and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So his son is coming full of grace and truth. Jesus is coming, and he is full of truth. He is all truth. In verse 16, out of the fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's a moment and there was the law was good for a moment, but it's come and it has come in Jesus. No one, ever, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who he himself, God, oh, who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father, who made him known so John says this, no one has ever seen God. If you were to like go into Sunday school right now, and let's pretend that we've just kind of covered the Old Testament, and then someone were to say, John, John reads, we read this passage and John says, no one has ever seen God. And then one of those kids at Sunday school puts their hands up, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Old Testament, they saw God. You think John is lying at this moment? Do you think John is saying something that isn't true? Is he, is he forgetting completely what happened in the Old Testament? He says, no one has ever seen God, 
And John is quite aware of all the various reports in the Old Testament of the Theophanies and the Epiphanies and the visions and the dreams and the appearance of God to Abraham and to Jacob and to Moses. For many of the prophets, people have seen God, but John is saying no one has truly seen God until they've seen Jesus. I really feel like this is so, so important in how we look at the Old Testament and how we look at war and how we look at the disruption of peace, because we need to look at it through the filter of Jesus. Because the only begotten Son, who is near to the Father's heart, has come and taken on flesh and revealed and explained to us what God is like. Jesus is, God is like love, peace, kindness, joy, justice, and the end of religion. As Jesus came in, he came to bring an end to the to the pain, end to the violence, end to the war, end to the hate, end to the evil. And he came to bring peace and love and joy. He came and stood up to the Pharisees. He didn't bow down, he stood up. So two things, this is also not on there, two things that we see here that we have to get right, that we have to get right in Christianity, in our faith. The first thing is God does not change. God never changes. This is very fundamental to who we are. So if God doesn't change, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens in the Old Testament that doesn't quite equal to who Jesus is, but then we see Jesus, and Jesus is love, peace, joy, kindness, bringing end to war, what does that mean for the Old Testament? It means it was there, it was very, very important, but it's a shadow of what was to come, and Jesus is God, and he's bringing that love, he's bringing that light. We don't want to get to a place that we say God changes. We want to get to a place that God knew what he was doing the whole time throughout the Old Testament, pointing back to himself. Because as we left the garden, we as human beings left the garden, the whole point was getting us back into a relationship with Jesus at the end anyways. You know, I won't talk about it either, but the Sabbath is very interesting. Jeremy may have talked about this. The Sabbath is practicing for eternity. When they take a rest on those days, we are practicing for eternity. The seventh day, the seventh year, the 49th year, all those moments in the Jewish calendar are practicing to be with Jesus in eternity. And then he talks about, the Old Testament talks about Jesus coming and full rest being here when Jesus comes. So God never changes. That love was there throughout the Old Testament. That peace was there throughout the Old Testament. And now fully revealed in Christ. Because the second thing is, first thing is God doesn't change. The second thing, God is revealed in Christ. The implications of this are pretty strong. Brian Zahn says it like this, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There have never been a time that God was not like Jesus, but we haven't always known that. But now we do. God has always been like Jesus. Jesus has always been God. There's always been that love and care and peace. But now we know it. There was a veil before. There was a shadow before. But now we see it. That's why we need to say no to war, no to violence, no to anger. Because we see right now that this is fully revealed in Christ. Christ can be our filter. John 15, 13 says, God, greater love has no one than this, and he laid down his life for one's friends. 
That's who we serve, a God that lays down his life for his friends. As the veil is taken away and they are left to understand more fully, they see who Jesus is. He is fully God. This is a moment, the transfiguration is the moment they see that Jesus is God. The whole point is that we can see God. The point is that we don't know what God is like until we realize that God, Jesus is God, and that's when we make our glorious discovery that Jesus and God are alike. They are the same. This can be a fantastic filter. When you're trying to debate them, when you're trying to figure out something, when you're trying to figure out what should I do in a situation, you look to Jesus. You look to see to his response. You look to see what he did. You look to the to what he said in his Sermon on the Mount, you look to the Beatitudes and you see a glorious, good God. Jesus is what God has to say to us. You can see Jesus is God's sermon to humanity. Jesus is who God is to us. So Colossians 2, verse 9 to 10, For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. The second thing is, the transfiguration is a glimpse at the end. I'm going to read this one verse quickly. It's 9 verse 27. It's just one verse prior, and it says, I truly tell you, someone who is standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is the verse just before the transfiguration. There's people standing amongst me that will see the kingdom of God before they see death. And then this happens. How many people have seen... I don't even know the movie anymore. Well, I do. Back to right here. Back to the future. Seen Back to the Future, the three of them. The second one, by far the worst. It's just awkward. I don't, you go watch it again, you're like, this is weird. I don't like this. Yes, hoverboards is a funny thing, but that's about it. It's interesting. Because Mark, he goes to the future. He sees his future in the same planet, in the same world, in the same place, but he sees a future version of it. And he sees an ugly version of the future, but then he starts to change and he wants to make things better. He comes back fully impacted by what he's seen in the future. This verse is talking about the future and the future now, back to the future. This verse shows the shining glory of who God is on this earth, but it also shows how we should be impacted here today on earth. It's a glimpse of the end times. It's a glimpse of our, of our eschatology, of our understanding of the end times. It's a glimpse to see full glory revealed in Jesus in this bright, shining star. The transfiguration is not just a revelation of who Jesus is, it's also a revelation of the destiny for all creation, the destiny of God's kingdom among us. There's a future hope that's represented. This transfiguration is where we are all going. There is an end to this life. There's an end to this war. There's an end to the pain. There's an end to what we see now. Jesus is representing, he's showing, he said, there's something so much better than what we have now. But it's just like, you know, forgive it a little bit. It's just like back to the future. 
where they see a future within this world. The world is the same, but it's beautiful because we believe that there's a new heavens and a new earth and we'll inhabit this land. And there's a future glory here. There's an end point, but the end is the beginning of something so much greater. No more tears, no more pain, no more shame. Romans 8.18 says this, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children and God, one day we'll be relieved of this bondage and decay. Jesus, the image of hope, we're not quite there yet. Jesus is hope. We're not fully in the future just yet. This is about stepping into this place in a different time and seeing for a moment how perfection will be and seeing it in the face of Jesus, how that perfect will be. Just as Jesus' transfiguration was at one moment viewed in plain sight, the next moment he was a blaze of glory in the very same place. The transfiguration is about redemption of this place for God's glory. We need to pray that God's redemption comes into this world. As we live in a broken world, we have to bring prayer and hope and faith that this world can be transformed into God's goodness. That's why we pray for the people of Ukraine. That's why we pray for the people around this world that are suffering. That's why we foster kids. That's why we adopt. That's why we do so much. That's why we go to soup kitchens to bring God's glory now. Because the future isn't just the future, it's the future, future now. But I got one more verse before I get to that point. Because I love this verse, two verses. Isaiah 2.4 about the future. Isaiah 2.4, and they will beat their swords into plows and their spears into knives for cutting vines. Nation will not lift sword against nation. They will not learn about war anymore. God, I pray that we will not learn about war anymore. And as we look to you, we would see your beauty. Isaiah 11:8 The wolf will live like the lamb the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together the little child will lead them the cow will feed with the bear the young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox the infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. That's such a beautiful image of what this world is going to be like. This is why we need to share this message because one day a child will sit beside a viper's nest and no harm will come. Could you imagine that? A lion eating like an ox is just unbelievable to me. The hope that we have in Jesus. This mount of transfiguration brings so much hope. But now... We need to see the future now. 
If you were to read this story in Matthew and Mark, it has Peter's confession, um, and then it says six days later. So what's six days later coming up to, as we look towards Lent and we look towards the Holy Week? Six days later is going to be the day that Jesus dies. It's going to be Friday. Matthew and Mark want to associate the coming of the kingdom with the crucifixion on Good Friday. Amen to that. The glory of the kingdom does indeed come through the cross. The glory of the kingdom comes through the cross. However, Luke says about eight days later. Was there two transfigurations? I don't think so. Was Luke completely wrong? Was he kind of trying to figure out what day it was? I don't think so. I've already like... In this sermon, I've unearthed two possible biblical errancies, but they're not. You're welcome, Jeremy. There's the eighth day. It says eight days later. What is the eighth day? If you look from Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, through six days is Friday, seventh day Jesus rested, and then the eighth day is something different. The eighth day is the day that Jesus rises. The eighth day is when Jesus' kingdom comes, when God's kingdom comes. What Luke's talking about is there is a coming and the kingdom is now. Luke is not saying, well, I've done my own investigation, inquiry, and it actually might have been eight days. No, he's saying the eighth day is significant. The early church actually baptized each other in eight-sided baptismal tanks to celebrate the eighth day because they come up out of the water and you live in God's kingdom now. We live in that perfection of Jesus a little bit now. The eighth day is so, so important for us. In order for us to live fully the eighth day, we need to have eyes and hearts unveiled to see who God is actually, and God is Jesus. Our prayer is we need to see and we need to present to this world a beautiful picture of who Jesus is, and we can do that through prayer, and we can do that through our lives sacrificed in following Him. The third thing that we see is unveiling of our hearts. Peter, James, and John had their hearts unveiled. In Luke 9, verse 32, going back to that, and the men were leaving, as the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter, said to them, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. They were, had veiled hearts. They had veiled minds. They didn't really see what was happening, even though Peter had just confessed that he is the Messiah. While they were speaking, a cloud appeared, and a voice came saying, This is my son, who I'm well pleased. We need to pray that our hearts will be revealed to who Jesus is. We need to pray when we're praying for these nations, when we're praying for these people, that God's heart and love will be revealed to them. Dear friends, 1 John 3, 2, Dear friends, we are now children of God, and what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. We will see Him as He is. When we see Christ, we see God. And then on the Christian calendar, it also has 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we are such a hope 
We are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would have put a veil over his faith to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end, what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. For this, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ it is taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. It's very interesting that that is still happening. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. This is like so key. Whenever we turn to the Lord, whenever we turn to Jesus, who he really is, the veil is taken away. Now all the Lord is the now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord. His glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When we go through this life and there is difficulties, we pray that God's Spirit would be with people. We pray that God's Spirit would be with us. We pray that God would be with us. I listened to this morning on on one of my prayer apps I like to do when I'm driving. Um, talking about the speck in someone else's eye and a log in our own eye. We don't want to say, you haven't seen the glory of Jesus yet when we ourselves haven't seen the glory of Jesus yet. We don't want to say to the Ukrainian people or to the Russian people, look what you are missing when we are missing it ourselves. We need to see God's kingdom coming in our lives to be able to spread that love, to be able to spread that joy, to be able to spread that peace and hope and the end of all things religious and the beginning of all things new and righteous and beautiful in a relationship with Jesus. For now, we need to pray that people would understand how good God is. I saw today, I don't want to get too political, but I saw today about um, the Russian Orthodox who was calling the Ukrainian people evil. The main, the main, the main guy, the main priest. And it's just, when we get it wrong, we can get it so wrong. This, unfortunately, is a holy war. There's no holy war. There's no war to end all wars. Fear only begets fear. Pain only begets pain. Hate only begets hate. And Jesus said, stop. And he went to the cross, and he took on that hate. He took on that violence. He didn't repay violence for violence. He went to the cross. He went down to, he went down to hell, shook off the sins, came back up, and he responded in love. He responded in care. So how do we take this? transfiguration and put it into our lives that it can actually impact something. First thing, understanding that Jesus is God and God is Jesus is so paramount. To understanding the Bible, to understanding the whole canon of Scripture, understanding that it all leads up to Jesus. And as we live like Jesus, that impacts everything. The second thing is, is that we have a hope of the future, and the future starts now. 
Salvation is when our eternity begins. So we can bring that hope to people outside these doors, inside these doors, and around. And then we need to share this with everyone and pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, our brothers and sisters around us, people around us. They would know God's glory. I ask the band to come up. We're just going to take a moment in silence and just prayer and to bow our heads. Let's just ask God, how can we respond to this? How can we respond in these difficult times? How can we respond like Jesus? So let's take a moment to sit contemplate how it could be like Jesus. As we think about pray for our human brothers and sisters, all of humanity in Ukraine. Think about this, this song, this message, those verses that who was and is and is to come. God, you never change. Your love reigns forever. This is who I see Jesus being. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God, we pray mercy. We pray mercy. We pray your mercy in your name. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. God, we pray for peace. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. In the same way they are persecuted, the prophets who were before you. God, we just pray. Jesus, you walk through the streets. Your spirit, hover in those streets and bring comfort to those who mourn. those buildings, in those apartment buildings, on those streets, in those subways, we just ask right now, you see the faces of the kids in terror, we just ask that your spirit walk with them. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. God bless you, and welcome if you're new. Welcome if you're new.